Nice to see your faces this morning. <laughs> uh, I would like to read the uh, CDC announcement that we read last week, uh, just so that we're all on the same page. Beginning on June 15th, 2021, you will no longer need to wear a mask or social distance to attend and participate in the various ministries and events. The CDC currently recommends that unvaccinated individuals continue to wear masks and that vaccinated individuals do not need to wear them. Since some will continue to wear masks for a variety of reasons, we encourage you to give those individuals some extra personal space and respect their decision. Please continue to honor the existing health protocols until June 15th, which is passed. So I didn't need to read that last paragraph. Um, so just be aware that there are people in our, in our congregation who have health issues. And uh, I should have mentioned this more clearly last week as well, uh, that uh, we want to give them the room that they need uh, to uh, feel comfortable and, and at ease. And uh, so if you're aware of people who have health issues, uh, uh, be sure to, to give them that, that comfort and that space. Uh, they may or may not be wearing masks, and so uh, if they haven't, if we don't know who they are, that's another another dilemma. Somebody asked if we're going to be uh, asking people who don't have their masks on if they're vaccinated. We're not going to be checking that. Uh, uh, it's not a really feasible thing to do, so uh, we're just going to assume that Everybody's on the honor system, and, and we're going to uh, move ahead and be thankful that we're getting past the situation with the uh, uh, COVID-19. And I think that needs to be part of our prayers as well. Uh, we're hearing uh, this uh, uh, variant from India is, is uh, growing in its intensity. So uh, even people who have had vaccinations uh, have gotten mild cases. And so we want to be, uh, in, you know, just continue to pray that, that this thing will come to an end and uh, that we'll continue to be cautious uh, for a while longer and, and, and just uh, be sure that we're respecting each other and, and, and taking care of each other's needs. Um, Chris and Hope Spurley. Uh, people that some of you know uh, have both been dealing with COVID-19. Chris was in the hospital with with severe case of it. Uh, it was kind of touch and go for a little while, and then his lungs started to finally open up. Uh, I believe he's at home now, but uh, not positive. And then Hope contracted it as well, very mild case, but nonetheless, uh, it it ran through them, and so we're still dealing with cases coming up in our county, and so be aware of that. Um, Diane Van is home from the hospital. Uh, she has uh, infections that she's dealing with. They're under control at this point, but uh, we still need to, the doctors still haven't been able to, to pinpoint what has been causing uh, these infections. So uh, continue to pray that God would just bring healing to her. And then Jackie Davis has a severe rash, and, and so she's just praying that they'll get the right medication and apply it the right way and ask that we would pray for that very specifically. Uh, 
So uh, let's uh, pray together. Father, we come to you this morning and again we thank you that we're seeming to move to the other side of this COVID-19 situation. But we ask, Lord, that we would continue to move, uh, that, that uh, there would continue to be fewer and fewer cases. In fact, we don't hesitate to pray for the miraculous, uh, that this would come to an end and it would be over. Uh, give uh, wisdom to those who are researching all of this so that they will know what to do and, and how to do it and when to do it. And uh, give us uh, wisdom as to how to deal with it as well. And uh, we thank you, Lord, that, that Hope and Chris are, are doing better, especially thinking Chris is uh, just uh, continue to bring healing to his lungs. And we ask, Lord, uh, that there will be no aftermath for him, that uh, when, this is, when it's over, it's over for him. There will be no secondary problems. And pray the same over Hope as well. And then we ask, Lord, uh, uh, that you would just uh, bring a healing uh, throughout our nation and, and globally, uh, you just bring this to an end. We ha- we ask for Jackie that you would uh, uh, bring a healing to her body, uh, this rash that she has, and uh, that they would uh, use the right medication and apply it the correct way in order to bring a speedy into it. But we don't hesitate to pray for your touch, Lord. And just to bring it into it for her. And then thank you that Diane has, has finally been able to come home. And uh, we ask again that you would give the doctors wisdom as to how to deal with the infections and uh, her blood count. It seems to fluctuate, uh, especially the white cell fluctuation. And we just ask, Lord, that you would be with her and uh, bring strength and healing to her body. Lord, as we continue this morning uh, together as we worship By opening your word, we ask, Lord, that you would open our hearts and through your Holy Spirit minister to us. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, we are in the book of Jeremiah, and uh, we'll be in Jeremiah this week and next week. Uh, It's big enough to jump two parts to it as we are reading through Scripture and reading through the Bible. Uh, keeping up our sermons with that as well. Uh, so you might call this Jeremiah Part 1. And uh, I took uh, some notes from uh, A.M. Hodgkin. I don't know how many of you have ever heard of him, but he wrote a, an excellent book, uh, Christ and All the Scriptures. And uh, he uh, wrote it in 1909. <laughs> that was its first publication. And uh, I just wanted to read a little bit from that. Uh, it's, uh, it just, it's a better introduction than I could ever give. God chooses unlikely instruments to do His work. He chose the sensitive, shrinking Jeremiah for what seemed a hopeless mission with the words, Say not I am a child, for on whatever errand I shall send thee, thou shalt go, and whatever, whatever, whatsoever I shall command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid, I am with thee to deliver thee. And that was Jeremiah 1, 7, uh, chapter 1, verses 7 through 9. And then it says, And Jeremiah proved worthy of the trust. 
though his heart was wrung with the severe denunciations he had to give. Now, if you're reading through, he had to tell the people what was what was up and the, the, the seriousness of their falling away and their idolatry and all of the things that they were doing that they shouldn't be doing. And he had to point it out. And so he, he, he used the word, uh, Hodgkins uses the word uh, here, severe denunciations he had to give and with the stubborn rejection of them by his people. Though he often poured out his complaints to God and even went so far as to say that he would not speak anymore in his name. Yet he never once, we never once find him turning back from the path of duty. Imprisoned again and again, put in the stocks, lowered by ropes into a cistern, uh, mocked, derided, a man of strife and contention to the whole world, accused of treachery to his country, opposed by false prophets, confronted by an angry people who clamored for his life, carried against his will by his countrymen into Egypt, and under all these circumstances, Jeremiah went steadily on delivering his message with unswerving fidelity for over 40 years. Now, that's, uh, you think about that and, and how difficult that has to be. Uh, I, I can't identify with that kind of, of, of dilemma. I, I look at, at, at some of the situations that I've been in in my life where it has not been um, popular to be a Christian, and and yet I've experienced nothing like this. I did get let go of a, from a job once uh, because the you know the the guy just finally had the opportunity to to, to let me go, and the owner who had hired me uh, retired, and uh, so. Uh, what was ironic was that the owner had to come back and retake the business, and when he found out that I was gone, he hired me back. So, uh, you know, it's, but that's the closest I've come to it. And, and I know some of you maybe have, have had more impact and, and conflict than that, but nothing like what Jeremiah went through. And he was faithful, it says, for 40 years. Um, uh, there is more here I wanted to read. It says, Jeremiah was of all the prophets of the Old Testament the supreme prophet of God to the human heart in season and out of season for a long lifetime. He laid siege to the hearts of his hearers. The cure of all your famines, he cried, and all your plagues and all your defeats and all your captivities, the cause and the cure of them uh, all is in your own heart. In the heart of each inhabitant of Jerusalem and each captive in Babylon. In other words, he was saying, you need to change your heart. It's in you that, you know, you're, you're moaning and groaning and even complaining to God about all these different things that are hitting you. And the captivity is the ultimate one uh, into Babylon and, and by Nebuchadnezzar and, and, and all these things that, that were happening. And he says, but it's, it's your heart that needs to change. Now it's interesting. I, I, uh, that between Jeremiah and Lamentations, which was also written by Jeremiah, there are at least 50, I think there's well over, there's over 50 mentions of the condition of heart. Something about the heart. 
over 50 different scriptures uh, that he uses. So you can see he really emphasizes this. Uh, the, there's a particular scripture out of that group that I want to focus on this morning. And that's found in chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. Um, and I just I'll add this uh, to it as, as you're looking that up. God says by His servant that He will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In the New Testament, this is distinctly applied to the Jews of the future in Romans chapter 11 and Hebrews chapter 8. Christ is the mediator of this better covenant, Hebrews chapter 12. The prophecy points forward to his day and includes not the Jews only, but all who know Christ as their Savior and mediator. It shows the spiritual nature of his kingdom in which his laws will be written on our minds to make us known, uh, make us know them and on our hearts to make us love them. And he will give us his spirit to enable us to do them. And uh, so what he's telling us is that this new covenant that, that Jeremiah speaks about is what comes through Jesus Christ. And you think about it, Jesus. That uh, I think it's in Luke chapter in Luke when he's talking about the uh, uh, going through the the bread and the and the cup. He talks about this is the blood of my new covenant. Okay, so this covenant is is what we are looking at in the sense of what comes through Jesus Christ. So the passage, chapter thirty-one, verses thirty-one through thirty-four. Uh, let's uh, read that first. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sins no more. What a beautiful statement. I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sins no more. I automatically qualify that in this sense. When we say remember his sins no more, people think God just, you know, he forgets and it's gone and it's not... That's not the case. If that were the case, we wouldn't know anything about David and Bathsheba. Okay? Because David confessed those sins and and God forgave him. When it says he will remember them no more, he means he will remember them no more in reference to judgment. In reference to wrath, the the judgment of God. Uh, He forgives us and does not hold hold it against us. He sees us through the blood of Christ in this new covenant. And as a result, we are holy as He is holy through Jesus Christ. Okay, so just uh, that, that's 
this new covenant is a powerful thing. And it's in contrast to the covenant that came through Moses. Uh, the, the, the Mosaic covenant. Uh, it starts with uh, Deuteronomy in chapter 11 and it goes on. You can read it, you know, that, just give you one more little thought on it here. The Mosaic covenant was a conditional covenant that either brought God's direct blessing for obedience or God's direct cursing for disobedience upon the nation of Israel. Part of the Mosaic covenant was the Ten Commandments and the rest of the law, which contained over 600 commands, roughly 300 positive and 300 negative uh, commands. This, his, uh, the history books of the Old Testament, Joshua and Esther, through Esther, detail how Israel succeeded at obeying the law or how Israel failed miserably at obeying the law. And you can read that through Deuteronomy 11, 26-28. It details the blessing and the cursing. I'm not going to go into that this morning. Take a, but just uh, note that, that, that here that's the Old Testament. The New Testament, this new covenant, is put into, into a way that I can look at it uh, through an article that was written by uh, Gareth Cockrell. And uh, he wrote this article in 2001. Uh, and and uh, it, it begins and ends... Uh, well, he, he uses the idea of, of Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1, through Hebrews chapter 10, verse 18 as a way of looking at this new covenant and comparing it to the old covenant so that you can understand what God has done and and the contrast, if you will, of the old and the new covenants. And I want to share with you some of the thoughts that uh, uh, come out of this uh, article of his uh, that uh, help me to understand it and hopefully they'll help you today. Uh, And first off, just note that in... Uh, Hebrews chapter 8 verse, uh, and, and through chapter 10, uh, this passage is rather lengthy, obviously. Uh, it begins and ends with quoting out of Jeremiah 31. And so it, it, it brings it to, to a head that way, if you will. It encapsulates it. Uh, Cockerell de- de- uh, described uh, this passage as a symphony. And you've heard me use different things in that kind of description before, how God has orchestrated and brings things together like a grand symphony. And you, you look at how each little part plays its, its, its piece at the right time. And so he looks at this as a, as a, a symphony in three movements. And so he really gets into the idea of, of, of looking at this from a musical point of view. And the three movements, one is the new covenant foretold. The second movement is the old antiquated. And then it says in the, in the third movement is the new covenant explained. So let's look at the, the, the new covenant foretold and go to chapter 8 of Hebrews. In the first two verses, 
uh, it says, Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord has set up, not man. So we start out with the idea that there is a true tent, not made by the hands of man, not set up by man. In other words, this is, this is the tabernacle, if you will, in heaven. Did you notice how, how detailed God gave the instructions to make the tabernacle? Okay, that's so that, that it would be a copy, if you will, of, of, of the, the, what God is, is, is saying is the true tent. Then, and it says that, uh, in verse uh, 3, it says, For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Uh, <clears throat> thus, it is necessary for the priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all. Jesus would not be a priest at all since uh, there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent... He was instructed by God saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that is shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old as the covenant He mediates is better, since it is enacted on, a better, prom- on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion for a second. This, this picture of, of there's a need for a sacrifice. I want you to grab a hold of that. There's a true tent, and in, in within the framework of this true tent, just like the one on the earth, there was a need for a sacrifice. Uh, something to offer in this tabernacle. The first covenant had been faultless. There would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, and not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand and brought them out of Egypt, the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant. And so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After these days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds and I will write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each other one as a neighbor and each one as a brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful towards their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more." In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. It's becoming antiquated. It's, it's coming old. It's being moved out of the way. And so what we have here is, is there's the foretelling of a covenant coming, this new covenant. In chapter 9, he speaks about the earthly holy place. The earthly tent, in the first seven verses, he speaks about that. He says, 
Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. For a tent or a tabernacle was prepared. The first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place. Having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that had budded and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. These preparations have, uh, having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, performing their ritual duties. But into the second, only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for uh, the unintentional sins of the people. You see, this is the way the Old Testament, you know, and, and set up in the tabernacle. How often did he go into the Holy of Holies? Once a year. And only the high priest. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy place, places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this argument, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of Reformation. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, the one not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy place, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the internal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. What he's getting at is, is this idea of this being put on our hearts and our minds rather than in some particular location or or temple. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant. So that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Since the death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death. Since it is alive, since, excuse me, only at death. Uh, I lost my place. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. 
For when every commandment of the law had been de, uh, declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. Without, and this is critical, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things, copies of the heavenly things, it means that they exist in heaven, things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly, as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood on his own, for then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once and for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment, to, uh, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. The old is out, the new is in. And it, Hebrews gives such a great explanation of that. Uh, we, the, the, the new... Covenant, as it's explained, it starts in, uh, it started in verse 23, explains, it says in chapter uh, 10 that Christ's sacrifice is once and for all. And we'll finish up with that here pretty quick here. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, they would not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, and this is a quote from Psalm 40, actually, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. Where do we, uh, what does that remind you of? In the garden? Not my will, but thy will be done. He does away with the first in order to establish the second, and by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. 
And every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until this his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. That's his church, the body. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them, after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and write them on their minds. And I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. It's been done once and for all. The new covenant contrasted with the old covenant, I think, in a rather dynamic way. It's a, it's a, I, I, for me, this was a, a clarification of what Jeremiah was trying to say in chapter 31, verses 31 through 34, uh, that there is a new covenant coming. And it's going to be uniquely different than what we've been through. And that's why I wanted to read through this with you in Hebrews, because Hebrews is what explains that difference. The, the, the priests were going over and over and over and over again because they had to do it over and over again because all it did was put off sin and tell the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the once and for all. And now the neat thing is, is that uh, things are opened up to us as the body of Christ. And, and so listen to this, this conclusion. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, we have the confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works and not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. And boy, sometimes you think it's going to be tomorrow the way things look in this world. And, and so, this, this picture is, is that we are allowed as the body of Christ, as the believers, as those who God has called, as we place our faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior, we are allowed to enter into the Holy of Holies. And while we do that only in, in, in a spiritual context now, we will... And I think of, again, uh, A.W. Tozer who wrote, God didn't, Christ didn't die on the cross for us to catch a glimpse of the Holy of Holies. He did it for us to dwell there. He did it through His sacrifice, through His poured out blood. What I'd like to share for communion this morning, it comes out of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22. And uh, before we do that, I would like to 
have uh, come and sing uh, our communion song. Um, and while you're coming up here, I don't know if, if are you singing all the verses to this? There's a lot to it, but uh, and but I just wanted to read this one because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on Him and pardon me. And this word for pardon, and the same thing forgiveness in here is actually the word for pardon, which is to treat you as if it hadn't happened. So when God forgives, He actually He's pardoning. That word is bigger than just the word forgiveness. It's like it had never happened. That's how He looks at us through the blood of Christ. We're using the packet still. If you didn't pick one up on the way in, you feel free while we're singing our song to go and get one. And we'll share in just a moment. my 
in chapter 22 of the Gospel of Luke, Luke records, When the hour came, Jesus reclined at the table and the apostles with Him. And Jesus said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And He took a cup, and when He had given thanks, He said, Take this and divide it among yourselves, for I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And He took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is My body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. Let us share the bread. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. Father, we thank you for these emblems that remind us of what you have done and and as we share in the Scripture, what is yet to come. We look forward to the day, the marriage feast, that we will share this cup with you again. What a, what a, a beautiful thing to look forward to. We thank you for the new covenant in your blood. The sacrifice that you made. And inviting us in through you, the veil, rent for us. You've invited us into the Holy of Holies. Thank you. And you've looked on us in such a way that you have forgiven. You have pardoned us. Thank you, Lord. We worship you. We praise you. And we ask, Lord, today now that You would go with us for the rest of this day and, and make it a special day for all the, the, the dads and, and, and just uh, a day of enjoyment, but also really just that awesome reality that You are the Father of all creation. You are the, the Creator of all things. You are our Father. And we worship You and praise You in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we close? Thank you for being here this morning. <laughs> I was just going to talk over you.
Your King.